Thank you, Zoom lady. <laughs> oh, happy good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever in time, space, or on the globe you are. Welcome to the Cellulite Pudding Podcast. And joining me today is a very special guest. He's been on the show before for Wrath of Khan. And uh, what you did another one. I'm losing track of episodes here. No, I had you guys on my show. Oh, that's right. That's right. But we are doing the film Conan the Barbarian. My friend Rick Tetralt and I. I, I, I... <laughs> Good morning, Rick. How are you today? Good morning. This, uh, this, this is in keeping with how the morning has been going, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have Pretty a question much. for you, Beth. Well, ask me anything. <laughs> what is best in life? What is best in life? Um, steel. <laughs> <laughs> close <laughs> after this film steel steel is it steel no it's to crush your enemies to see them driven before you <laughs> and to hear the lamentation of the women <laughs> i just saw that scene this morning i love it i love it so much um just to give people some context uh or give you some context actually rick because you're recording with me you're kind enough to come on and record this episode um we've been focusing on pride we're recording this uh middle of june it's Pride Month, and um, I thought we're going to have three solid episodes for Pride this month, and I I plan on partying at uh, Stonewall Pride down in Wilton Manors the end of the month here, actually next weekend. So I figured we'll do this one and get it out of the way <laughs> because <laughs> uh, it's a great way, I think, to sort of wrap up the month of June, even though it's not a Pride-centric film, although... Sandal Bergman is really easy on the eyes, and so is Conan, oh, yeah. uh, or, or uh, a very young, very fit Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I think it's just a great way to open up uh, summer. What do you think? Yes, and and you know there's there is a and, and actually well we'll talk about it I suppose when we get to it. There's a scene that I wasn't sure as as a, a you know as a, a straight cis dude whatever um i wasn't sure how well it stands the test of time and whether or not it was offensive or just a little poor taste or whether it was actually okay wait a second what scene are we talking about <laughs> when when conan infiltrates thulsa doom's cult by enticing the clearly gay priest ah uh, yes 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 because I mean, I don't on think the one that was hand, offensive. They didn't go for like over the top stereotypes, but on the other hand, back in the eighties, making making some of the evil characters gay was kind of a thing they did, uh, which was not very pleasant. No, no, it wasn't. I picked up on that on that scene, but it didn't quite offend me because he's sort of portrayed as not not as effeminate, as more as sort of soft and hippy dippy to me. <laughs> The way the actor sort of portrayed it or the way that John Milius probably had him perform uh, was sort of just open-ended. I yeah. mean, so you could read it maybe either way. Soft as in easily influenced, sort of the kind of person that would be attracted to the snake cult. Mm -hmm. Some people would read it the other way as, you know, the stereotypical uh, effeminate male. But I just kind of, I, I was very open ended about the whole film yeah and i found that there was a lot more to love about it 
than to dislike. You're you're not wrong. I loved the I loved watching this a lot more last week than I did in 1982 when it came out. First of all, it's got the most opening awesome opening of any movie ever. Um, you know, the whole forging of the sword, although <laughs> okay. I don't know if your if your listeners know I I probably haven't mentioned it, didn't have cause to mention it on on uh, the uh Wrath of Khan uh, show. Um I I was and have been a medieval reenactor for a long time. And so of course Conan is, you know, required reading <laughs> or, or watching, uh, along with Excalibur and Holy Grail. I know a lot of people who are actual blacksmiths who are like, that is not how you make a sword. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it just, you know, that the 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 visual of the the pouring of the steel and the hammering it and the and you know tempering it in the snow, which is actually bullshit. But um <laughs> looks cool that though. Music Basil Polidorus's oh, soundtrack has been on my on every player of any kind I've had since 1982. Where's this music been all my life? This music is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's I you know, I bought the 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 soundtrack album probably in 82. Uh then I'm sure then I bought this, you know, the CD as soon as it was released on CD, I bought that. And that has been ripped into every digital player I've ever had since. It's amazing music. I I know that uh, Paul Polidorus said that, you know, some of the pieces are very are very short, but they strike a certain mood for whatever scene. Writers of Doom is really good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Writers of Doom, funeral pyre, um, very emotional and appropriate for that scene. And then uh, I guess he had a funny story about the orgy scene. And his uh, daughter playing a recorder while he was trying to compose the music for the orgy scene. Yeah, and then she Did gave you... him shit about it because she he didn't record it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it was, Dad. But she was like, "Nope, that's not right. You didn't do it right." <laughs> and and it's awesome, you know. Those the the anvil of crumb, which is the opening, uh, the wheel of pain, the the orgy, and. Uh, and um, the the Battle of the Stones are like, I don't always put the whole album on because it is a bit lengthy, but those are those are the four tracks that are always on my player and in in constant rotation. I did not see this film uh, with when it was a contemporary. I I know everybody else saw it. <laughs> everybody that we knew probably saw it in the movie theater. Like I said in previous episodes this year, it's like this the theme of this year for me is. Movies that everybody saw, maybe that I didn't see, that I should have seen by now. And uh, I finally saw this film in preparation for this episode. And I was surprised at how much I loved it. <laughs> I just love this movie so much. I, something that occurred to me about three quarters of the way through watching it, because when it came out, all right, so here, here's here's the, the, the setup for when it came out for me. Uh, it's 1982, my senior year in high school. Uh, my friends, who a lot of them you you may remember, Dave Jenkins, Keith Platt, yeah, um, Steve Brooks, uh, you know, we were all we all played D and D together. We all uh, <laughs> we had made a bunch of like wooden swords and plywood shields, and and would have sword fights, and and uh, you know, we were really into all of this sword and sorcery stuff. They got me to read the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit earlier in the year, and this this was something that surprised me because I was doing as I was doing research for this for this show. There was a movie called The Sword and the Sorcerer, which was absolutely awful. <laughs> it was really bad. It was high fantasy sword and sorcery. 
I thought it was a ripoff of Conan, but it actually came out two months before Conan did. Who was Richard in Maul was in it as this sort of demon thing. Um, the, okay. the, the hero was was kind of a, a Han Solo-ish. He had this three-bladed sword that was incredibly stupid and unwieldy. The guy who played the evil king was, you know, one of those faces that was in every movie in the 70s and 80s. Could have um, been Rip Torn. <laughs> I, no, Rip Torn was in the Beastmaster. Sword and the Sorcerer tanked as it as it very much deserved to. Um, I've been tempted to look it up again and see if it's anywhere out there for streaming, but I don't know if I want to subject myself to that. But then Conan came out, and I had I had seen some of the comics. I've never read any of the Robert E. Howard stuff. Of course, you know we all knew what Conan looked like. Uh, yeah, Frank Frazetta works, and and you know all the the comic book covers and stuff. And Schwarzenegger could not have been more be you know a better person to play Conan. Perfectly suited. But I had, you know, everybody but me had read at least the comics. So I really had no idea going into it what to expect, um, which I think in a way helped because there were a lot of times when they, they like tiptoed right up to a scene that was famous in the comics and then it didn't go the way it did in the comic. Like the, the, where, after Conan escapes his slavery, and do do you want to go chronologically through the? Movie? I don't. You know what? I'm so glad you brought that up. I, and I, I like the way you cover material, so uh, we can be open ended about like a this. ping pong ball in a dryer. <laughs> yeah, the scene where he gets his where after he escapes the 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 slave his slave. Well, he doesn't escape after he's freed, and he's he's being chased by the wolves. Um, it sounds to me like you saw the same making of documentary I did where they were talking about the which dogs is I'd love barely to... trained. <laughs> yeah, it was posted up on YouTube. Now, I know that the account that posted it up on YouTube is not who produced it, uh, the creator. Um, I would love to know where that came from. I don't, I don't know if that was a DVD extra. It felt like a DVD extra to me. I, I have the DVD, but it's in a box in the store in storage. So I don't know if that's something that was part of the DVD or not. Uh, we'll put the link in the episode description. I just want to make sure that uh, when people want to go look for it, it, it gets appropriate attribution. Cause I, I looked for links. There were other links that the uh, YouTube creator had put up there, but I don't think it specifically addressed where that content came from. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, uh, you're, you're much more diligent than I was. I just, I just watched it. Yeah. With, with this one, you know, I, I when I started playing it, it became very clear that this was a professionally produced something, probably an extra from a DVD. We do need to stop right here, though, because I do feel like to for our listeners, we would be doing a disservice. I Do you want to cover the Robert E. Howard content now or maybe put that at the back end of the discussion? Because the one thing that really amazed me after watching the film is I kind of went on YouTube to see, well, here's some creator content. And the research that has been done on Conan and Robert E. Howard just blew me away. I'd, I'd love guys... that. Might be good for you know set up the context of the, of the film. Sure. Yeah. Um, if you guys like fantasy, our listeners, and I know that um, my my daughter and uh, a lot of her peers really got into uh, uh, Tolkien, and that the hot you know Lord of the Rings films and and the Hobbit was a big deal for them. If you guys like fantasy, you guys have to dive deep into Robert E. Tower because he came up with this whole civilization, yeah. <laughs> you know, prehistoric civilization that sort of existed before pre-recorded history. And it all, you know, 
came out of his imagination and he actually had uh, planned came, this whole thing out. Yeah. I think ahead. it came out more from his, uh, a, a deep psychosis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's that too. There is that too. Uh, he, he did have a severe mental illness and he, at, I was listening to the interview. Um, I don't know if it was on the DVD content or the, the content that we were referring to, but uh, someone had said that he actually imagined Conan was there making him right. Yeah. Every evening. I, I, I was, when I watched the, I, I just watched that doco this morning, actually. Um, but I had heard that before that that's, Howard wrote the his Conan wrote the Conan stories because he believed Conan was actually standing behind him with a giant axe and would kill him if he didn't get the stories written. And so he was sleep deprived because he was he would write all night and then pass out in the morning and then wake up and Conan would still be there until he wrote all of the stories. Now I I'll admit I've never read any of the Howard stuff. Um nor have I, but now it's sort of a rabbit hole that uh, a big, deep rabbit hole oh, that yeah. uh, if folks, if you love fantasy, if you like, uh, uh, he was also a contemporary and a friend of, um, oh, help me out here. H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. Yep. Um, it's, it borrowed some of that mythos and sort of incorporated it into his. If if you're into that stuff, uh, I, I can't imagine you would not be entertained and felt fully rewarded in doing a deep dive in Robert E. Howard's work. Thing is a, a warning, maybe, and and I don't know, like I said, I haven't read any of it, but you know, uh Lovecraft stuff is deeply problematical from a racism <laughs> right. standpoint. And I I don't know if Howard went down that road or not, but just be aware. He sort of envisioned, I think I read something like ten thousand years before like recorded history. And you're supposed to imagine like the lost uh, continent of Atlantis mm -hmm. it had existed and then it, it is sunk. And this is sort of like what has happened between then and recorded history. But uh, I'll recommend uh, Grim Dark Half, Half Off is the name of the YouTube content creator. And he just goes deep into the lore, into the gods, hmm. into the uh, geography. <laughs> um, great content creator and just hours and hours and hours spent on this this world that Robert E. Howard created. Conan has been a, a, a you know a, a, a name I've heard my whole life. Uh, my father was more into comics than I was. Uh, and, uh, you know, he and my mom split up when I was two. So I yeah. only saw him like every other weekend. Uh, and then when we moved to Florida, I only saw him at like Christmas time and one week during the summer. Um, but he always had Conan comic books laying around whenever we went up to visit. Uh, and so I would read them and, you know, you know, one comic issue here or there, you couldn't get any feeling for the context of the whole thing, but you know, right. he was this giant muscled barbarian who uh you know very much similar to uh the tarzan stories yes i, I would say it. that yeah because uh, my dad was into tarzan as well my dad liked big muscular dudes hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we gave you a little background about uh, robert e howard um definitely suffered from severe mental illness and uh, committed suicide um, when he was in his 30s, right, Rick? That I didn't know. Yeah, he had committed. Though. Yeah, he had committed suicide um, in his early 30s. A contemporary and a sort of a friend 
I use that term loosely. Um, not that they weren't friends, but they were writing uh, uh, colleagues, I guess. Uh, he and H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, I don't know how much he agreed with some of Lovecraft's uh, darker perspective. Yeah. Uh, I do know that uh, Valeria, there were two characters in in uh, Conan that you you probably saw this in the in the documentary that um that was it Belbet and and Valeria and I think it was that John Melius said he preferred the um the the um Valeria character even though supposedly in the storylines uh Conan is is more romantically attached to Belbet and Valeria was more of a companion fighter Mm-hmm. character not a romantic partner but he um Milius liked that character much more and that's why the co-star and the love interest and his uh, fighter companion along with um with Subutai, uh he chose valeria because he 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 felt like if there was going to be a romantic interest it had to be an equal in terms in, in terms of battle yeah which and i thought was, was really cool choice yeah very good choice. Very good yeah. choice. But the 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 plot is really quite simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to like a, a you know a fantasy movie, it's it goes along uh, a quest. We we see young Conan. His father is a sword maker. What is the mm-hmm. pro- what is the term Blacksmith. for sword maker? Blacksmith. They're sort of a uh, Celtic people. They're nomadic. Do you I, get that I, sense or no? More, more Norse, more, more like uh, Northman kind of Viking-ish, but very, very much just a a farming village. We find out that Conan loses his family at a very young age, but the one thing that his father tells him is uh, he shares his faith with uh, the 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 communal faith mm-hmm. of his people, which is essentially. They worship the god Krom. Please explain Krom for the people. <laughs> Krom is the god of the earth, and uh, and Krom doesn't really care much about the the ins and outs of humans' lives, but he is the god of steel because steel comes from the earth, and so Conan's father gives him the 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 great quote: "No one on earth can you trust, not men." Not women, not beasts, but this. And he holds up the sword that's made in the opening credits. This you can trust. And then Conan yeah, and goes off to get screwed over by every almost every human he meets. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the what happens. Um, and the, the big quest is what is the what is the um the riddle of steel. The, the riddle of steel. His father shares that you know steel's the only thing you can trust. And very shortly after that. Conan loses his parents. He looks like he's about nine or ten. And Thula's tomb, portrayed wonderfully by James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. um, with flaming blue eyes. <laughs> I thought that was really cool the way they portrayed him. Uh, comes in and they just sort of raid their village, uh, slaughter everybody, and but he leaves Conan, little boy Conan, and who is plucked out and taken to the Wheel of Pain. <laughs> so we see little boy Conan along with a, a lot of the other orphans that they have accumulated along the way. And years later, he's the only boy standing. Now he's a young man. Before we leave yeah, the Wheel of Pain, 
something I found hilarious in the uh, uh, in in the making of is uh, Milius was saying that the 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 tech crew that built the Wheel of Pain, um, <laughs> they built it too well. And it it moved so easily that the first time Arnie pushed it, it swung around and knocked him in the back of the head. <laughs> so it's... they had to have several guys on out of camera on the other end of the thing pushing back, so it looked like it was hard to wrote to to push the thing around. I love that uh, he he specified there were there were more than one, it was more than one crew person. It was like yeah. they had to have a like a, a line of people pushing against Arnold, and um, but we find out that. Foolish Doom's henchmen or whatever underlings who actually abducted abducted Conan as a young boy takes Conan and he becomes a, a Pictish gladiator mm-hmm. but he becomes such a good fighter they take him and they bring him to the far east where he can be taught more fighting techniques capabilities and uh, apparently that's where Conan loses his virginity because they want him to sire a bunch of, uh, you know, future fighters, an army of, you know, powerful fighters. Now, but then as, he's freed as an yeah, 18 year old boy, a 17 year old boy. When that movie came out, that scene was wonderful because <laughs> boobs were always great. 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 Wait, um, wait, great boobs. But I love the fact that in an era when. There was no uh, – most movies didn't bother about pretense about why we're going to put boobs on the screen. They're just going to – they're just you know, if, if we can get a naked woman in there, we're going to do it. Um, right. At least in that scene, they had Conan kind of treating her with respect. Yes. You know, they threw her into yes. the cage, and she – and he actually, you know, wraps the – you know, of course, he still does the deed, but at least, you know, he puts a skin around her and is is – kind of tender to her which i think if, he, yeah go ahead i think if they had made this movie in the 90s it would not have been like that it would have been very it would have been you know much more grr. um but it was it, i think it was showing us that even uneducated conan is still a a he's still a hero even though he hasn't become a hero yet yeah i i think it's smartly directed and i think that um milius uh, now i don't know how much of this is um was collaborated with uh, Millie seems to be the type of director that would consult his actors but i think a lot of that probably has to do with you know, just sort of the natural way uh arnold schwarzenegger sort of presents himself on screen mm-hmm. and interprets the character himself but yeah, I I like the fact that you know he he puts something over her to protect her modesty. Then then he's yeah he does do the deed, but it's sort of an overture of I'm gonna um, make this as good of, as it can be. <laughs> yeah, it's as good as it can be considering he's a barbarian. Yeah, I think is a good point. He he's freed actually by this gentleman who has taken him to the east to become a a, a better fight an even better fighter than he already was. Um, I got confused, but once he has his freedom, he's on a quest. Yeah, to have basically find James Earl Jones, <laughs> <laughs> fullest doom, and uh, seek revenge for the slaughter of his family, and and that is essentially the the whole plot of the movie. Now, I, I and yeah, go ahead. 
I know that this is not a, a film that, you know, you really sweat the plot too much, the, the intricacies of the plot. Uh, but that is one point where I wish they had, I mean, it's a two hour movie. It's not a short movie and it does not. No, it's not. It does not rush through its material. Um, but I really wish there had been some, some explanation for why his masters freed him because he just kind of comes up in the middle of the night and cuts his chains and goes GTFO. I'm done with you. When he's at the peak of his, his popularity and, and success. And I, re to this day, I'm like, why? I, I, there, there, I wish there had been some sort of just something to explain why they did that. That was the one part of the film where it, it just didn't seem to follow. Everything seemed to make sense. Every decision, directorial and and plot wise, seemed to make sense. But that didn't make sense. And the other thing that I'm confused about is he's freed, and then he falls into. Was it an accident that he falls into that sort of cave, or burial cave? Uh, well, he was being chased by wolves, and he saw a stack, you know, a a pile of rocks, and he just climbed up it, and then there was an opening in the top that he didn't see and fell in. And now, and and that's another another great comment from the documentary. That was the first scene they shot of the movie. I and I forgot that. And Schwarzenegger tripped or slipped and fell, and cut his head open. And the first shot of the of the 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 first scene of the movie, and that he said those that was the the first set of stitches I got, and it was like what was then Czechoslovakia, if I'm remembering right, Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia yeah. Start and so they didn't have doctors. They just had some medics on hand. Like, yeah, I got, I, I got a needle. Hang on, <laughs> just stitched him up. Needle and some thread. We'll stitch you right up. <laughs> Do we should probably talk about just how physical this film was and how much work they had to do. All of the actors, and we can talk a little bit about the actors too and their background if you want. Oh sure. Well, you know Schwarzenegger, of course, was you know at this time he had only he had another movie had a movie out called Pumping Iron. Uh, which was about the bodybuilding world, but he was, you know, he was very charismatic. He's from Austria. In fact, his nickname was the Austrian Oak when he was That's bodybuilding. Right. Um, so he he was like Mister Universe, at least, you know, more than once or something, you know. And he was he was like the top of the game bodybuilder. The movie of Conan went through several incarnations. Well, apparently, Milius had been interested in the uh, projects since 1977. I didn't realize it took that long for them to uh, get the money, get the right people behind it, and uh, to make the film. But Milius said he'd always, always sort of imagined, once he saw Honor Arnold Schwarzenegger, that the that that was a no brainer. Let me look it up. Um, there, there was there was another director. Yes, it wasn't it wasn't Milius, and it wasn't De Laurentiis at first. Edward Pressman. Uh, yes. Yeah. Who started the idea in, in 1970? And it took oh, almost wow. a decade to get it and finally get it in front of cameras. I didn't know it was as early as 1970. Yeah, yeah. Was it Milius? And then I, I think Milius had a had a, a a screenplay that was just had you know like hundreds of of characters and and. Uh... Well, Oliver Stone wrote Oliver Stone. That's what I'm. Thank you. Oliver thank Stone you. wrote the first, uh, I the guess, first... version of the screenplay. Yes, it was Oliver Stone. Um, and then I I didn't know this, but in the documentary. That we, you and I watched. I don't know if you remember, but they said that he had actually envisioned envisioned this world as like a post-apocalyptic world. 
Yeah. And Milius was the one that pulled him back and said, no, 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 no. The, mm-hmm. This is going to stay true to the original idea. Yeah. And and Stone's treatment had like dozens of species of mutants and, and he wanted, you know, hundreds and thousands of mutants attacking Conan. And <laughs> I mean, it, w- it was a great idea. It was something that, would you know, works really well in a comic book or, a, or you know, maybe an animated feature. But for a live action, you know, this, what he had in mind, there was no way, that, you know, it, it would have been so expensive to do. Nobody would touch it. Uh, so eventually it got to Dino De Laurentiis John, and, and Milius, John Milius? It, I have John Milius here. It is John, okay. Uh, attached to direct. And De Laurentiis very wisely, I think, was like, this needs a rewrite, but I don't want to rewrite it until we get a director attached. So the director's involved. Uh, and Milius worked with um, Pressman, I think, to do a rewrite. Pretty much wrote what we saw. You know that some of the directors that they they went to De Laurentiis, they actually spoke to other directors like Ridley Scott. Ridley so Scott. They, they passed, were looking yeah. for, yeah, they they were looking for a serious uh, director. But I'm I'm glad they chose Millions. Yeah, you know it's funny I, because I you know when I said earlier when it came out I didn't like it that much. You know I was an 18 year old idealist with very little experience of the world, and I just it was like, well that was kind of lame. But watching it, <laughs> watching it now, I mean, yes, it's an absolute cheese fest. But everybody involved is totally committed to it. And yes, the sincerity of the film makes it work. That's such a great point. Because it it is yes, there are some cheesy bits. Uh, Jerry Lopez, who was a surfer, who was a professional surfer, he's not an actor, who plays the other co-fighter companion to Conan, to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Conan. So you have Subutai on the one hand, who's sort of patterned after a, a Genghis Khan's general, mm-hmm. you know, one of the fighting generals. And then you have Sandal Bergman, who plays sort of Val- Valeria, the Valkyrie, not the Valkyrie, but sort of the Amazon fighter. Mm-hmm. So there are his companions. His quest companions, they sent Jerry Lopez to, <laughs> to some sort of crash course acting school. But it works. He's so committed to the part; it really works. And the friendship except, seems, except one of the great injustices I think of this, and they didn't mention it in the documentary. I read it elsewhere. Uh, I don't know if it was De Laurentiis. Someone on the producing team didn't think Jerry Lopez sounded right for the part. So all of Subutai's dialogue is overdubbed by an asian actor oh that's terrible i yeah. did not know that i i mean I, I they didn't mention it in the documentary so maybe wikipedia is wrong about that uh i doubt I would, it i would glad to be wrong be wrong about that but i know i did not know that and that that's horrible and he's such a likable um in that documentary yeah the interviews with him he seems like such a likable person and you know, you're seeing pictures of him in his wetsuit. It, it, and, <laughs> and I guess he and John Milius surfed together, and that's how they knew each other. Yeah. Milius was saying when they were trying to cast the part, he's like, I want somebody like Lopez. And then finally he gave up because he couldn't find anybody like Lopez. <laughs> and he tested okay. So they're like, no, we're going to use him. We're going to use Jerry Lopez. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, it, it's like what uh, Sendal said is that. Milius didn't cast 
actors who could play the characters. He cast people who were the characters. I like the the quote. I don't know if it was John Milius in that documentary or someone else that said it might have been Pressman that said that we would have had to something about if you if you didn't cast Arnold Schwarzenegger, you would have had to build yeah <laughs> Conan because De Laurentiis that... wasn't sold on Schwarzenegger. Oh God, how? <laughs> well, oh, yeah, he, he's he complaining. That... He couldn't understand him, right? Yeah. And and Preston said, Dino, we can't understand you. <laughs> right. All right. It works. It, yeah. Even even his accent or the fact that his accent is so thick. And this is really, I was trying to look at his filmography. And it, I think it was Pumping Iron. He did something in Hercules in New York and then something else. But he was totally, uh, he was dubbed over. Yeah. he. But they dubbed him over with, a, with an American for the American release of the Hercules movie. And it's it's all just this is him. This is really his first starring major motion picture pre Terminator. And and it makes him an international. He, he's sort of already kind of a celebrity because of his pro, high profile in bodybuilding. And he's one of the reasons why the sport got gained so much popularity during that era and all through the 80s and the 90s. But Conan really, he even credits it, doesn't he? Yeah. In an interview. Oh, yeah. He said that this is what put him on the map. So. Um, and and also, you know, this was this was the time. I don't know if you've ever seen. Have you seen any of the Mad Max movies? I think I've seen one. <laughs> and that, that's actually going to something else that it, it, this movie gives me so many feelings about. But go ahead. Um, Not Mad bad Max. feelings. Good uh, you know, the the Mad Max is kind of what gave us Mel Gibson, for better or worse. You know, for the majority of his career, we liked him. Um, yes. Then we found out he's a jerk. Um, but uh, the the movie Mad Max, Mel Gibson, when the movie was released in the U.S., producers didn't think anybody would be able to cope with his Australian accent, so he was dubbed by an American. I did not know that. Do we know who dubbed him? I want to say it was him. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It may have. I, I, I'd have to look this up, but I think he dubbed himself because he was born in the States and then grew up in Australia and then came back over here. Um, oh, wow. But I think, I, you know, the at the time, American producers were terrified of a, of an, a foreign accent. Arnold's accent really worked in this role because these are not supposed to be people and uh, civilizations and communities and races of people that we should feel completely acclimated to. They're, they're supposed to seem a little bit alien to us. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it was the production designer that was talking about James Earl Jones, that they wanted to make him look like a, from a completely unique people. That's why they gave him the blue eyes, the yeah. very long, straight hair, uh, James Earl Jones, the way he's lit, and even the way he's costumed and presented a, a people that it, we've never really experienced or encountered. They, they really tried to sort of sink into that fantasy aspect, whereas I think they, they were complaining about, was it the new Conan, the one with uh, Jason Momoa? 
seem to be like self-conscious about the more fantastic elements of the film. Like, okay, yeah, this is fantasy, but we're not really comfortable with it. So it's it's just going to be a film that's more relating to reality. I you know. saw that movie. I don't remember much about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I do remember about it was, I think, the editors of that film. I'm, I'm talking about the the, the Jason Momoa. The Jason, Jason Momoa. The editor of that film needs to be taken out and shot. Because Momoa <laughs> and everybody else did a great job, but the movie was so chopped up and so nonlinear and not in a not in a clever way. It just was like action film, action scene, action scene, action scene, action scene with no connective tissue between them. Yeah. Uh, so I honestly don't remember much about the plot of it. I, I remember I would have been happy to see Momoa play Conan again. Uh I, I think Jason Momoa is awesome anyway, but uh, I think the 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 editing of that film was a crime. I the one criticism I saw, and it was <clears throat> again a YouTube creator was saying that the Jason Momoa that we got in that Conan is not the Jason Momoa that could play that role again today and just really knock it out of the park. Perhaps. Um, yeah. That he was just a, a little too new, a little too raw, a little too uncertain. Whereas um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is just, like you said, he just sort of owns it. Everybody yeah. in this film really steps in and there's a sincerity to all the performances and the ex or the execution of the production that just it just really works. And make the result is a very good film. And And sadly, it's like the only... There were tons of copycats after this came out. Um, I, I guess you could argue the Beastmaster wasn't bad. I, I um, was that I Harry thought Mark Singer was a little too willowy. Oh, for, be, yes. And the and the, the spray painted leopard. <laughs> oh, Clash of the Titans is the film. I'm Clash of the Titans. Oh, yeah, 1981. Oh. So this actually came out before uh, after Clash of the Titans. I am so bummed that Clash of the Titans was Ray Harryhausen's last film because <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> I I knew this film had come out within the same era, Clash of the Titans, and and for our listeners who aren't familiar with Ray Harryhausen, if you could kind of explain Ray Harryhausen, um, what he's known for, revolutionized the field of stop motion animation for films. Uh, if you saw any of the Jason and the Argonauts movies or the Sinbad movies in the 70s. Uh, he did a lot of giant monster movies in the in the 50s, or in the 60s, rather. Um, he was inspired as a child by King Kong. Um, because King Kong really was, and I, uh, I, I should know the visual effects guy from that, but I, I, I sadly don't. Um, but Ray Harryhausen saw what happened in King Kong and was inspired and took the art as far as it could possibly go, given the technology they had at the time. There wasn't a significant improvement in stop motion animation until Industrial Light and Magic got a hold of it and used it in uh, in Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Um, Ray Harryhausen was a genius. Feel free to go on and on about this. Uh, I think, <laughs> um, no, but I do think it's important to the genre. I do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, J Jason and the Argonauts. There was a there was a scene 
that one of the most famous scenes is where Jason is fighting a bunch of skeletons. And that's all that's, you know, that's classic Harryhausen. That scene with the skeletons is one of my favorite uh, sort of action sequences for any kind of ancient, you know, sort of the time of gods and heroes. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah. You can't you can't qualify it as as a sword and sandal. How would you qualify the genre, Rick? Uh high fantasy really or or yeah uh, you know uh seventh voyage of sinbad i remember going to see that uh in the th in the movies at the mo at the movie theater and you know in between hoping to see jane seymour's boobs <laughs> <laughs> um you know there was the 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 giant bird that took her to cal no that's yeah no i'm, I'm getting that mixed up with the uh, with clash of the titans there was a giant baboon you know, in Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, they fight the Colossus of Rhodes, which is, the, you know, a giant. Oh, I love that. I love iron that statue. And uh, ah, I love that scene so much. And there was nothing Harryhausen wouldn't tackle. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were a bunch of B monster movies, you know, the, the old black and white days that, it, you know, where he did with, uh, you know, just various dinosaurs and octopuses and stuff. Now I've got Harry Redmond Jr. for special effects for King Kong, the original from 1933. Does okay. that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. And you know, Harry Housen, Harry Housen would have been a kid at the time. But uh, that animation has a how would you describe it? You mean as far as the the, the process? Yeah, go ahead and describe the process because to me it's sort of like puppetry on film or done with film. Yeah, that would be my way to to describe it. Um, well, I mean, it, it requires a level of patience I cannot even fathom because the way stop motion animation works is you've got a, you know, a movie camera that only takes one frame at a time. And you have your puppet, which has a, a steel armature that has various joints in it. And then it's covered with a, a, a rubber skin and then whatever, you know, fur or, or skin or whatever, you know, for the final look of the creature. And then... You take a picture of it and then you move it just a little bit and then you take another picture and then you move it just a little bit more and then you take another picture of it. And, you know, a, a 20 second sequence can take a couple of weeks to do. Uh, it's, it's incredibly tedious work, but when it's done well, you run the film at 24 frames a second and it looks like the thing is moving. And yeah. Harryhausen took that art and perfected it as much as it could be. And it wasn't until Industrial Light and Magic, which is the the people that did the star the the special effects for Star Wars, got a hold of it and they created what they called go motion. Because the problem with stop motion is that there is no motion blur. When things move, like y'all can't see this because you're you're listening, but like when I move my hand across the camera, it yeah. doesn't stay perfectly in focus as it's moving. There's there's a bit of a blur as the camera tries to keep up with the motion. You don't get that with stop motion because every shot is a crystal clear image of the thing because it's not really moving in front of the camera. And Industrial Light and Magic figured out a way to add motion blur to their stop motion. So like the the ATATs in Empire Strikes Back look a lot more realistic or the Tauntauns because they've they've added a little bit of motion blur to it so that it looks more it looks more smooth and to our eyes it looks more natural but harryhausen created the foundation on which all of this stands this film came out in 82 star wars what 77 77 yeah and then we had and when did we have empire strikes back 
80. Yeah. So there were, there was exactly three years between all the star Wars films. So okay. 77 was star Wars. 80 was empire. 83 was revenge of uh, return of the Jedi. This film doesn't have any stop motion and it's really only got one, not one effect. Well, yeah, the, um, the, the animated ghosts when they try to take Conan's soul. That is true. And that was computer. Yeah. No, no, that was, animation. it wasn't what, what they that didn't was have animation? any CG back then. That's, that's right. That's right. Uh, that was just straight up animation on over the 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 cells. That's you're right. It is because that has that that uh, sort of Disney esque yeah uh, look to it and and the snake <laughs> really the snake is was the real. only uh, I mean it wasn't a real snake it was anim it was a, a robot it, yeah and I thought it's it's all practical there's no there's no digital effects there's no CGI it's it's all just tangible practical effects. And a robot snake, mm -hmm. and it's Which really they built impressive too big to fit, fit in this. <laughs> <laughs> it's really impressive what they achieve. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, there was some concern. De Laurentiis was like, "Ah, oh, it's really violent. It's really violent." But I, what did you think about the the violence in it? In retrospect, I mean, at 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 the time when it came out, I thought it was you know, a, you know, of course, you know, eighteen year old D and D player. I, I it 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 wasn't violent enough violent enough for me, uh. You know, watching it now, I think it's funny that there was concern about the violence because, you know, compare it to a John Wick movie. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, it's nowhere in it's nowhere near or or even you know a few years later, uh, not even that long after. You know, Excalibur was a lot more violent. You know, yes. and, and and later films. You know, I, I there was a lot of blood, but not a lot of gore. Uh, you know, there was a lot of sword play and and uh, you know and but but it could have been so much worse. And apparently, they had to cut it two or three times to get down from an X rating. They were getting an X rating for the violence, and they had to edit it two or three times before they got it down to an R rating. I don't There's think they least... got a PG thirteen today. There's at least a three, three or four beheadings in the film. At least three. There's at least three. This is going to make me sound awful. I didn't have a problem with the beheadings. I didn't even have a problem with the gore. There's a lot of gore at the when the snake dies or is killed. Yeah. There's a lot of not gore, blood. There's a lot. Of, it seems to be a lot of blood. Not we're not talking puddles of blood, but the There's application of, of blood when yeah yeah the. <clears throat> When the blood is applied, whether it's a spurt of blood or uh, blood on the on the actor, it kind of works for me because it it seems more realistic. Yeah, uh, and so the violence, I I don't I kind of don't have a problem with because uh, there's not this. Um, and this is going to sound silly, probably from somebody you know younger watching this film today going, well, that's just so cheesy, but. For me, the violence is less gratuitous because it seems more real and you don't have this sort of cartoonish quality to spilling blood, which I think ultimately makes us desensitized to uh, images of violence. Mm -hmm. That's my standpoint on that. Well, have, have you seen any of the John Wick movies? No, I'm, I'm not a big Keanu fan. 
Reeves fan. I'm, but. I'm not either, but they're they're remarkably entertaining. But yeah, he kills hundreds of people, and after a while, it <laughs> it does. You're just like, all right, can we just get on with it, please? Whereas this, every every fight was specific. Every fight was choreographed. As in any action film, there's going to be a lot of extras who are going to run in with their sword over their head and get disemboweled and and then die with one right. swing, and that's it. You know, that, that's the nature of the genre. I don't understand why anyone would watch a Conan movie and not expect violence, because that's kind of the point of the character. Yeah, I think we need to talk about the character. If we could try and sort of explain the character and sort of understand why a barbarian might be so popular. Well, and, um, and relatable. Know, and, and that that's one of the things that's always and maybe maybe it's because I haven't read the source material. Conan is in no way in these movies a barbarian. In fact, he's surrounded by people who are far more barbarous than he is. Um yes. you know, yes, when the fighting starts, you don't want to be on the other end of his sword. But like when they're going through the through the the, the various cities, you know, okay, he punches a camel. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> you know, which may have been an homage to to Mel Brooks. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't. I never checked if, if Blazing Saddles came out before or after Conan. But um, oh, it did. It did come out before. I, yeah, I, before. I figured as much. Blazing Saddles was the 70s, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So maybe maybe him punching the camel was was a, a an homage to Mongo. Um. But you know, Conan is fairly polite. <laughs> in the movie he is and there's sort of an innocence about him too yeah. when he's freed apparently has sex with a demon that was an interesting thing but you know i kind of something funny about that and i, I i'm not I, no, I i'm interrupting all the place and i no apologize. no 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 interrupt because i i will i kind of specifically wanted to ask you for your take on that scene i remembered he's... that scene being a lot more graphic from a sex standpoint than it was when i watched it Last week, I was like, oh, that was pretty tame. <laughs> I thought it was pretty sexy. But I, I thought I'm there watching... was more nudity in it, and she was, there wasn't any. Um, I mean, it was pretty I think... gruesome when he threw her into the fire, but uh, yeah, obviously that didn't bother her that much. <laughs> what did you make of that, though? Because, I mean, they could have just cut that out. Was it just, hey, let's have sex in the movie? Let's, I th let's have a sex scene here. Yeah. Or do you was it a way for Milius to kind of show that this is a different type of, we're not dealing with ancient Greeks here. You know what yeah. I mean? We're not dealing with Tolkien. We're looking at a completely different sort of universe that Robert E. Howard has created where there are demons. And if you, if you go down that rabbit hole, there are demons, there are cannibals, there are ghouls, there's all kinds of scary, creepy stuff. I think that's you know it it's similar I think to that scene in The Shining, where Jack Nicholson is making out with a gorgeous girl and then suddenly she becomes this creepy old decayed woman. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was there was that. I think you're right. It's it's really putting a point on. This is not the world you you think it is. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, that scene could have not been in the movie, and I don't think it would have changed anything. Um, and I think that's yeah. 
that's a that's a, a, a you know, nineteen eighty two is still basically the seventies from a from a filmmaking standpoint. Yeah, and if you watch right. movies from the seventies, they didn't rush getting from the beginning to the end. Um, True. And anytime you could put some titillation in was a good thing. (laughs) I found myself kind of puzzled by the scene this time because you're right. It doesn't do much. I mean, she gives him a little bit of information, but. Oh, uh, she does. But it's not anything that he couldn't have found out by, you know, questioning a, a, a shopkeeper or something. Maybe it's a way of sort of re- resetting the because I, I do know that Milius and Stone did borrow from the source material and they wanted mm-hmm. to incorporate the this source material, you know, some of the, the stories into this film. So the the origins um were probably straight from Howard. Maybe an encounter uh, with a sex demon also. Maybe <laughs> was now now one thing um, I meant to mention earlier, um the scene where he where he falls into the into the crypt and there's the the dead king there and he gets the dead king's sword in the either in the books or the comics that thing comes to life and he has to fight it and so i do know people who were pissed that they got right up to that and then didn't i yeah i'm a little hearing that now i'm disappointed and i kind of expected it because i thought this is really kind of creepy mm-hmm. and, and, and it never happens. I, I, I was waiting for that skeleton to kind of like rise up. Yeah. His throne. Now I'm wondering now what, <laughs> when one of the things Milius was saying was that, you know, in the rewrite in, in the, in the Oliver Stone script, there was a lot more magic and, and fantasy uh, uh, aspects. And then in the rewrite, they made it much more, "Quote unquote real, more realistic, more grounded." Tried to create a world that was believable. So I'm wondering if that scene was a victim of that, but also I'm wondering if it was a matter of how the hell are we going to have Conan fight this giant skeleton with the bu- with the budget we've got? Uh, we didn't. We haven't talked about the budget. I don't know what the budget was. I don't either. I but really... it was not huge. <laughs> Let me see here. I think I have it. No, this is this is King Kong. Uh, the budget was twenty million, and yeah, it grossed something. Or... It grossed over a hundred million, and then something like three hundred million. By tw- I want to say two thousand seven was quoted in that documentary for uh you know home video sales and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it it made Licensing. money like crazy. It it took off way. It was way bigger than anyone expected it to be. I, I would hesitate to even like look at these numbers and think how accurate they are because I. I, when we were preparing for this, I don't know if I watched it on Netflix. I think I did watch it on Netflix. And now it's been licensed. Now you have to pay for it again. Let's just put it that way. So the content's <laughs> yeah, I, like I rented not it on, on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And there, which tells me they're, just, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger has a series on Netflix now. <laughs> <laughs> so they're making money off of it again. It's oh, I'm, I'm sure. Silly. I'm sure. So they're, you know, these numbers are are climbing, folks. So. It's not a small budget, uh, for for nineteen eighty two nineteen eighty or it would have been eighty, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's not huge. So they may not have been able to to do a a 
you know, they they may have been like, look, we can't do this well, so let's not do it. I also thought of the possibility that um, for folks that aren't familiar with the, the story arc of Conan, the long term story arc, because he later becomes a king. Yeah. And I wonder if uh, with budgetary concerns, maybe Milius was like, hey, maybe we'll just make this sort of a foreshadowing type thing that one day he's going to be king for, for people in the know instead well, of making it the combat. Yeah. Well, the plan all along was for this to be a series of films. And then, yes. And then Good it point. didn't happen. They were planning on what? What was it? They were going to make it like a James Bond type thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they they had they were looking at 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 least four films. Then Conan the Destroyer was. I I just watched that today just to get some perspective on, on what came later, and it was the first time I'd watched it since it was in 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 the cinema. Whoa! Is it a bad movie? It is. What yeah. what went wrong there? I don't. Well, first of all. There was a belief uh, on the part of De Laurentiis, even though Conan the Barbarian did so well, given its, you know, its fairly meager budget, they thought it would have done better if it hadn't been rated R. So, you know, there was still that that belief that R-rated movies didn't make money. And so they wanted to make sure that Conan the Destroyer was a PG, was rated PG. PG-13 didn't exist yet. And then they they went for a bunch of stunt casting with Wilt Chamberlain, who really it could have been anybody in the role, uh, and uh, uh, Grace Jones, who was absolutely amazing. Uh, I would watch her do anything, um, yes. but I'm sure she didn't come cheap either. No, no. They also gave so. Arnie way too much dialogue. <laughs> I think Arnold does much better in movies where he doesn't talk too much, especially <laughs> back sparse. then. Sparse dialogue, yeah. And something I didn't realize until I was watching the movie this morning, and I was it no, it was last night. I watched it last night. Um, and I paused it because I was curious. Because I, you know, I love Olivia Diabo. You know, that was the first time we'd seen her, and I've seen her in stuff since, and she was in Star Trek, so of course, you know, she's on my radar. She was 14 in that movie and was incredibly what? hypersexualized. Beautiful woman, and, by the way. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and and she still is. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm more familiar with adult Olivia Diabo. Than... Yeah, <laughs> not not. Uh... Oh God, that's really. Ugh. But Conan the Destroyer was miserably awful, and then when it came time to make a third movie, Arnold was already working on Predator, and basically didn't want to have anything to do with Conan anymore. Yeah. Which I don't Any, blame him because if if yeah. if Conan the Destroyer had been a good movie, probably, but it wasn't in any way, and uh, I don't blame him for for moving on. Was there beef between Arnold and De Laurentiis? I don't know that there was beef, but uh, De Laurentiis's daughter wound up being one of the producers. Yeah, I think she's produced other stuff too. I think she's actually a, a pretty competent. Producer, oh, yeah. uh, didn't she do flash? Saying that she, I don't know, uh, Rafaela De Laurentiis, and I'm, yeah. I'm trying to. I think she, you know, she either directed or produced Flash Gordon. She's been with Universal Pictures for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I think her tenure has lasted longer than, um, 
sounds like Dina De Laurentiis has pissed off some people. <laughs> that that does not surprise me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, she's had a long term uh, relationship with Universal Pictures, so very. That's <laughs> to stay in production that long is is uh, an accomplishment in oh, itself. Yeah. So, can we talk about Sandal Bergman for a bit? Well, let's talk about Sandal Bergman. Um, and and we we did we did talk about James Earl Jones, who touch on him again one oh, more sure. time. This is post Star Wars, mm-hmm. and he he did this. I I honestly I I don't remember what the timeline is. When Star Wars first came out, he was uncredited as Darth Vader's voice. I think it you're right. It wasn't until I I think it wasn't until the the re release because remember movies used to get two releases back before video. Um. I think it was the re-release when they finally said, yes, James Earl Jones is the voice of Darth Vader. Right. Uh, so this may very well be the first time we've seen him since Star Wars. He's quoted as saying in that documentary, when you're playing the heavy um, or the bad guy, to have fun with them is a great mistake. Yes. And I thought that's that's such a brilliant advice mm-hmm. from from a legendary actor. That he finds the sort of the the truth, the humanity, and he he doesn't uh, camp it up or overdo it. No, he just not tries at all. to find the authentic authenticity in it, which is great. And I think that's why his speech to Conan. Oh my God, I love the line where he's like, "I gave you that," and the 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 hand gesture where he just. It, it, it you all can't see what I'm doing, but he does this like pinched finger thing and he bounces it off his chest. And he's like, I gave you that just before he condemns him, condemns him to the tree of woe. Um, it's just, it's so iconic. Jones is just, is just, he's phenomenal on all levels. I've never seen him in anything that is, is not elevated by his presence being there. The thing that blew me away in, in this performance is um, the, he inhabits that makeup and he, his eyes, you know, they, they, they do uh, like blue eyes. So I guess he was wearing contacts or something. Yeah. yeah. But he, he makes sure that his eyes and his facial expressions are acting this, this role. There's something actually soft and beautiful as you're looking into this evil man's mm-hmm. eyes and you're sort of one over. And, and when they, you know, Conan has that final confrontation. There is this sort of softness and he, he's expressing, you know, basically come into the fold, Conan. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's scary, creepy. And he's just really brilliant at it. Yeah. And a tremendous actor. Yeah. we uh, the, the fact that we have been alive during James Earl Jones's presence on screen is, is a privilege. A treat, truly. Yeah. So on to Sandal Bergman. Oh my God. <laughs> this <Okay>. woman. <laughs> my, my, uh, my friend Keith, who you know, uh, who mm-hmm. is gay, who is, has been happily married to his husband for over 20 years, to this day, as far as I know, still has a crush on her. <laughs> so she is just, and, and I am right there with him. Um, you know, it, it, she was just incredible. She's cool. <laughs> Yeah, um, a, sort of. Uh, what, what's the expression? She's sort of low key awesome in this film. Uh, under underrated, underrated, underrated yeah. in terms of when we talk about the sort of the 
female action heroes of that era. You know, Ripley comes comes to mind. But in the 70s, you had Linda Carter, right, playing Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Lindsay Wagner playing the Bionic Woman. Then you move into the 80s. So you've got, oh, well, uh, Alien was in the 70s. 79, yeah. Linda oh, Hamilton little, comes. No, not Linda Hamilton. That's that's the little woman. <laughs> um, no, that is it is Linda Hamilton. It is Linda, Linda, uh, Linda Park is the one I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah, Lin, Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton, um, T2 was what, 92, 91, I want to say. Was it that late? I'm trying to think of like other actresses sort of as more action oriented. Terminator was 1984. Right. Yeah, and Linda Hamilton, when she was in Terminator. She's in Terminator. She doesn't. She's sort of in the action film with Michael Bane, but she's not sort of 91. like, the, yeah, the the sort of tough wielding, you know, semi-automatic weapons and everything, and fighting, fighting the Terminator that she is in T two. And I'm trying to think of who else in the eighties besides Sigourney Weaver. Not many, but Daniel Bergman is yeah awesome in this film. I mean, I I one of my problems with the movie as a as a young man and you know when it first came out is you know I, I I don't think we ever had to worry about her getting a best actor award or best actress award. <laughs> no. Um you know she is she is not I mean she's fine. She's she certainly delivers her, her lines competently, but as actors go, she's she's okay. Yes. Um and I, I held that against her for a long time because I was young and stupid and idealistic and, and uh, watching it again now, she's real. She is so committed to the part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She is Valeria. I don't think that she is, you know, classically beautiful, but I think she's gorgeous. Um, I, you know, <laughs> this is something I've kind of come to terms with over the years is that I've always been kind of attracted to the more butch girls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which has led to issues in the past when I've been chasing after lesbians and they're like, look, dude, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not going to work. Right? <laughs> You're a good guy, but no, <laughs> but there's something about her. And I had, and I didn't realize until doing the research for this, I had seen all that jazz, the Bob Fosse movie. I didn't realize she was in that. I didn't either. Well, it actually, the name sounded familiar. Her look looked familiar. And I didn't know she, that was her in that routine, which is, um, what's the name of it? Uh, it's, in, oh, in, I, I remember the routine really well. <laughs> but uh, it is a very, very sexy dance number. Yeah. What I did not realize, Rick, is she's six feet tall. And to be a dancer and be six feet tall is not, although Fosse, Fosse loved long women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fosse has long loved long-legged tall women. If, uh, if you don't know who we're talking about, sure. folks, Bob Fosse was one of the preeminent choreographers in American uh, musicals and some and some movies. And in fact, if you like Michael Jackson's moves, most of them came from Fosse. Yeah, the influences you can see definitely. Yeah. I just think that if you look at uh, Schwarzenegger, Bergman, 
and um, Lopez, they're all sort of athletic in yeah. their own way. And people that are naturally athletic have a natural body confidence that if you're going to cast a movie like this, that is probably essential to have that because that charisma is going to project in the role and, and sell it. And I think their commitment, like you said, their sincerity in their performances kind of take average ability and make it good enough, certainly, for the film. Well, I've, I've learned over the years of being in showbiz. Uh, and, and listeners, if you don't know, I've been I have been a, 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 a theater professional for almost my entire life now uh, since I was 16 and I'm. You know, so that's like what, ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Commitment carries so much more weight than I ever would have given it when I was eighteen, um, because since sincerity and believing, because you know, I I had a friend of mine. I'm I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here. I had you a friend of mine many years on. ago. Uh, she's a she's a, a an Episcopalian priest now. We had seen a movie together. I don't even remember what it was. Um, and I was like, that one guy, you know, I, I didn't really believe his performance. And she's like, you know, there are people like that. There are people who, who don't sound genuine, whether they're on the screen or not. And I thought about that. And I was like, you know what? Not everybody can give a Shakespearean performance, even in real life. Some people sound like they're reading off a card. And that really kind of changed my outlook on, on acting. And then also, I've been an actor. I am a reasonably competent actor, but I am in no way a good one. You know, give me a nice comedy role or something. <laughs> I, can, I can chew the scenery just fine. <laughs> but you want me to do something to say honest lines and sound real, it ain't going to happen. And so I've I've kind of learned to appreciate the craft as much as the the result and i was i have been very unfair to sandal bergman in my mind and in conversations over the last 30 years and watching her now is a joy because she is totally there she's totally present and you know it you know while she may not be giving the most believable De, uh, delivery of the lines, she believes it, and the sincerity this... on her face and in her voice and in her body language is a joy to watch. There's watching her performance, so I was like, okay, so I don't know what her background is, and not not actually associating her role in this with uh, with Fosse's uh, all that jazz didn't make the connection like oh she just looks familiar so i'm like obviously they they hired the jock <laughs> the jockette right for this role she can d definitely do the physical choreography which was really demanding we haven't even talked about that yet yeah um the, their their preparation which was probably very intense and we can go over that after after we're done talking about sandal bergman but um I don't think they could have today making this movie. I don't think they could get away with it. What they yeah. subjected the actors to. I don't think that uh, the screen actors guild would get, let them get away with it. 
it sounds very dangerous. Some of the stuff that they oh, were she, doing. She almost got her finger cut off. It, yeah, she said it was severed. <laughs> severed till indicates to me that it was just sort of dangling by a piece of yeah. Flesh. Uh, and and uh, and Schwarzenegger was almost um, you know probably in a uh, jaw clench by by those wolves that were chasing him. Mm-hmm. because he said the animal handler actually had a hard time with with those dog or with yeah, those they, they weren't that, very well trained as he put it. the only person they didn't have a problem with was the snake hand the snake handler <laughs> and apparently the snake handler was frustrated with james Earl jones because and i didn't know that this was delightful to learn i did not know that james Earl james Earl jones had trained with the army rangers yeah that was i'm not surprised <laughs> but yeah James Earl Jones had trained with the Army Rangers, and part of the training was you had to get friendly with snakes and let it sleep in the sleeping bag with you. And then, of course, they teach you how to kill it and eat it yeah, later. later the, but, and then, of course, you ate it at the end. I'm like, God damn it. But the, the snake wrangler was sort of upset with James Earl Jones because it kept having to, I guess, get him a different snake because the snakes were you know, kind of comfortable with James. Yeah, James they kept going to comfortable sleep. with the snakes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Sandal Bergman, at the beginning of the film, I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, she's fun. And, oh, the cheesy acting scene. And okay, boys, you know, basically keep up with me. The scene where she's willing to sort of do anything to save Conan's life. I'm not kidding, Rick. I get tears in my eyes. I get tears in my eyes during that scene. Me too. Because she was like, this, yeah, the sincerity. I'm choking up like, now. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Great performance. And she seems cool as shit. And apparently, I don't know about recently, but she was doing cons and has worked, you know, probably worked. I know she did Broadway for a while mm-hmm. and has danced pretty much her whole life. She got into the uh, workout craze, video workout craze in the 80s. I guess made a little money off of that and, you know, kept doing small roles here and there, but but then kept going to cons recently i don't know the last time she were was making appearance at conventions appearances at conventions i'm assuming before 2020 mm. but just sounds like an all-around cool fucking person yeah <laughs> yeah and i was very glad to find out a couple of years ago because for some reason i thought she had died i thought Ugh. that i had read somewhere that she had passed away and i mentioned it uh on a podcast or or when i was maybe when i was gaming with friends and they're like, dude, she's fine. She <laughs> looks it up. Like, yeah. all right, great. There's one one more person I think we need to talk about a little bit. Definitely. Mako. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The the fact that he's the first voice you hear. <clears throat> the fact that they brought him in at all is just amazing. Um you know, he was he was a staple of 70s television whenever they needed like an, an Asian person, uh, he would show up. Um, but just, you know, that this is the tale of high adventure. You know, that voice oh, God, is so... I love it. <laughs> I do love the intro. I love that it it just sets the whole table. Mm-hmm. It's it's really good. Oh, you know, we didn't we also forgot to Failed to mention that Max Fonsito plays King Osiris. Oh my Osiris. God, yes. <laughs> and and how it was just like, what did what did he say? His his granddaughter 
convinced her or convinced him to take the role because she was a Conan fan or something? It's, it's one of his kids or grandkids was uh, really into the books. Yeah. And we, we haven't really talked a lot about I, I do feel like that's the one piece that's sort of missing is that both of us are, have failed apparently in, in <laughs> the uh, pr- preparing. We did not understand that that would be on the exam today, the Robert E. <laughs> Howard portion. But folks, if you go into just uh, some of the YouTube channels that about Conan, you will understand why. <laughs> if you are lacking, if you feel like you've beaten Tolkien to death and you, you need to feed that that drive to explore fantastical places, dive into Conan. It's <laughs> just so much there. So much there. It's very rich uh, world that he has created. I don't hear anything problematic, but it could be wrong. Uh, not like with Lovecraft, Rick. Yeah, and and but, I still love Lovecraft. I mean, I, I love his stories. He was an asshole, but uh, you know, as as long as you can, I don't want to say excuse because that's that's wrong. Um, you know. I have been wrestling with the debate of where of you know the art versus the artist. Yeah, separating art from for a artist, long yeah. time. And I know that you and Sam have gotten. Into we talk it. about it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I I think you know for me the line is drawn when the artist uses their fame against marginalized people. That's why I no longer have any tolerance for J.K. Rowling or Orson Scott Card or. Um, well, those those two are kind of the poster children for for my you know you've you've crossed the line into using your fame and fortune to actively oppress. Uh, I don't think love. I I don't know if Lovecraft did that or not. You know, it's like Edgar Rice Burroughs. If you've ever read the Tarzan books, he's not particularly racist, but his belief in the inherent superiority of the British upper class is almost hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you know, you, although you do, uh, hmm? there are some heroes in fantasy like H.G. Wells, where their their uh, their sympathies and their progressive attitudes would really surprise you. Yeah. Um, there's some uh, I don't know. There's some bugs underneath the mattress for a lot of these people. Um, yeah. For a lot of writers, a lot of creators. Lovecraft, I've never been a huge fan of his literature because I, I just feel like there's like a lot of exposition um, and it just goes on and on and on. You're not and wrong. I'm like, Let's, something needs to happen here soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and not, I have not read uh, the Robert E. Howard uh, texts, but it sounds like, at least from his fans, that he does sort of he, – he has the exposition, but he kind of gets into it. So maybe a you little know, bit more. The, probably the only reason I haven't read it is that I I don't read a lot of fantasy anymore. I'm yeah. pretty much just a hard sci-fi guy right now, whereas my wife is is very much into the into fantasy and, and vampires and werewolves and fairy tales and stuff like that. And even when I was into it, I wasn't – bad into it growing up you know I, I was a comic book kid and i was more i was marvel not dc mm-hmm. um and i was uh grow, growing up also as you get a little older it happens right around puberty <laughs> you start seeing the 
Oh God, not not just Frank Rosetta, but oh God, who's the other guy? Boris Vallejo. <laughs> Boris Vallejo. You see those covers? You see those covers on Vampirella, and you go, <laughs> something, something's going on inside me, and I don't, I don't quite <laughs> understand it. And you're drawn to them, and I was never drawn to the world of Conan, and I feel like I've missed out. But now, you know, because I I collected some Vampirella too, the the earlier, the early stuff, the black, the huge thick comics that were, uh, who were they put out by Warren, mm-hmm. and so you'd have the big color cover, but then the the, the comic itself was in black and white. And I yeah. feel like Vampirella's character would have been better suited if you could have just introduced her into sort of the Red Sonia and and yeah. Conan universe. It would have just been better, you know. I'm waiting for that movie to come out. The Red Sonia, Vampirella, <laughs> Conan, um, Menage a Trois in... <laughs> now, did you that see, movie. Did you see the Red Sonia movie? I did not see the Red Sonia movie. Now oh, I've heard mixed, bad. <laughs> you know, some people love it and some people don't like it. Now, admittedly, I haven't seen it since the one time I saw it at the movies. Um, it, 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 it has the distinction of probably killing a third Conan movie because Schwarzenegger was in it. He was supposed to be Conan and then for some reason. And I didn't understand just, any of that. Like why he couldn't be Conan. I, I don't know. Um, I'd have I'd have to look it up. I, I really didn't intend to talk about this today, so I didn't do any, a whole lot of uh, reading into it, but just doing research for Conan, the fact that he was in Red Sonja fulfilled his contractual oblig- obligations for a third movie. And so yeah. when it came time for a third Conan movie, he was like doing Predator and starting to to really go up the the, the ladder in Hollywood. And apparently had no desire to continue on, you know, wearing a fur bikini and and getting <laughs> beat up every every movie. <laughs> there was supposed to be uh, a Conan the King film, yeah, and it it didn't happen. No, and then and then a few years back, far too few years ago, for it to have made any sense whatsoever, they were talking about doing another Conan movie with with Schwarzenegger in it. And I'm like, the dude's in his 60s. What the hell are you planning to do? And unless it's sort of done uh, as a sort of uh, retrospective, you know, another yeah. advent- it has Conan the King sort of recalling uh, his days of adventure. Mm. That would work. I heard that Vin Diesel was originally going to be in, in some sort of Conan movie in the 2000s, but then he, he wound up doing... Uh, the Fast, Fast and Furious, Furious, yeah, films instead. But the, that's that's the other thing that I I always took for granted when we're researching these films that certain people wind up getting the roles because whoever they their first pick was the, the financing of films is so up and down and and such a roller coaster for some of these projects that originally who they set their eyes on and who they'd like. Actors can't wait around forever, right? No, <laughs> they no. got to pay the bills and keep their face out there too. It's not—it's yeah. not just a matter of earning a paycheck. If your face isn't out there, if you aren't appearing in things, the phone's not going to ring, right? And um, so I—I ne- I always just took that for granted. Uh, and 
the fact that uh, you know we didn't get Vin Diesel in a Conan movie is be- probably because something was held up in the pre-production, the financing of the project. So something else that actually paid him. Well, do you know who who Susie Plaxon is? It sounds very familiar. Okay. Did Did you watch uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation? Yes. Okay. Kalar, the the mother of Worf's child, Alexander. Yes. Okay. That's Susie Plaxon. Um, she's okay. a good friend of mine. We I, I interviewed I did her. Know. I I I I try not to name drop because it's cheap and and also what we have is is just for us. When when I first started podcasting, I was looking for Star Trek stars to try to interview, and she has a website, and I went to it, and I sent her an email, and I said, "Hey, we've got this show. Would you like to come on?" And she did, and it it was kind of funny because at the time I don't think she realized we weren't an actual radio show. She didn't understand oh. what podcasting was. Um, oh so, God! You know when we're talking to her, she's like, "Is this is this going out live?" I'm like, "No, we're recording it. We'll we'll edit it." She's like, "Okay." And then we have had a fantastic relationship ever since, and I've had her on several shows, uh, several shows since and stuff. But the the reason I bring it up is that one of the things she told me when we talked to her the first time was how unless you are like in the top 1% of actors who are constantly working or get millions for a movie, Mm. you may get a 20,000 paycheck for $20,000 paycheck for a film. But if you only make one or two films a year, yeah, that's a shitty salary. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is a shitty salary. So that was a long way to go to say that, you know, yeah, if, if actors aren't working, you know, below a certain level, they're not making any money. Yeah. And as we've seen with this latest writer strike and, and, you know, the screen actors guild is on the verge of striking too. Uh, you know, production companies do not want to pay out any more than they absolutely have to. And so residuals aren't that great either, unless you're you know, right. You know, unless it's a, you know, a multi-billion dollar film, you know, one of my favorite stories from Hollywood is, you know, Alec Guinness. I don't know if you've seen any of it. It's it's come out in the last few years that Alec Guinness really hated doing Star Wars. He thought it was I didn't know that. I didn't know. He thought it was silly. He thought the dialogue was awful, which is not untrue. Um but he also got one and a half percent of the 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 profits and so it made him a very rich man. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, I wonder how he felt about uh murder by death then. Which <laughs> <laughs> which he was in and before Star Wars, mind you. And uh it, that is a guilty pleasure film of mine. In in passing this up, it it just never it, it I don't know, for whatever reason, when it came out in the movie theaters, it didn't appeal to me. And uh, and when I saw it in the comic book stand, never appealed to me. And when I uh, read up on Robert E. Howard's books, and now I'm so much more fascinated by the content, and and now I want more Conan movies, good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now I want films made with more practical effects and robotics. I I want us. We joke about that all the time, or Sam and I bitch about it all the time. Like, why can't we just, you know, no more CGI? Well, you, you can't have not have CGI, but in v- VFX. But man, it'd be so great to 
I bought the snake, the snake scene. Yeah, the snake. I thought was it was done awesome. really well. And think about Jaws, the robotic shark. It was all executed so well. And there, there seemed to be something so much more visceral about the, the, the viewing experience than seeing something that's just so fantastic visually that you know it could never happen or it's never really going to look like that. And so we sort of we're sort of disconnected from the reality of of let's say a decapitation, let's yeah. say a giant snake being stabbed to death, let's say a human. Uh, there's that scene, the gladiator scene, where he is being chewed on, gnawed mm -hmm. on by the other, yeah, yeah, by the other picked, like gnawed on his. You know, I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna bite through his jugular, and and it just feels more real watching it than than sort of a the a VF, VFX type thing. I used to be a huge fan of how they did it. Of of you know the, the uh you remember Nova, the, the PBS show Nova? Yes. Um yes. they did an episode about industrial light and magic and special effects. It was uh came out around the same time that uh Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom did. And it was, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff on how they did the effects of Star Wars and Indiana Jones and stuff. And I have uh, in their 10th year, I forget, I, I guess it was probably 1987 um, ish. Uh, ILM put out a, a, a book. And it was, you know, a huge $60 book, uh, you know, what they call a coffee table book now. Um that I, you know, there was no way I could afford a $60 book. I asked for it for Christmas and got it, um, which was all about, you know, their history up to that point. And uh, I used to love finding out how they did stuff. Um, and in this book, in the last chapter, which was talking about digital effects, which had only just really become a thing. This was right after uh, Young Sherlock Holmes came out. Okay. There was, a, uh, there was a scene where they the they fought a, a stain a knight from a stained glass window jumps down and they fight it and that was a, that was a CGI effect um, and in uh, in Wrath of Khan and we talked about this when we talked about the movie the the Genesis effect uh, uh, funding video <laughs> was right. one of the first full CG effects used in a movie um you know it was in its infancy and even then george lucas was was looking forward to a day when he wouldn't have to deal with live actors anymore when it would just be all <laughs> digital um, oh god which explains the sequel the prequels <laughs> but, uh, yeah yeah it sure does he he would rather not have to deal with people at all um and in some cases, I think that CG has really uh, moved the art form forward, especially with things like backgrounds and expanding the the the, the visual tableau. Mm -hmm. uh, inorganic things like like starships or or you know vehicles or stuff like that, uh, you know starscapes or planetscapes or stuff like that, although. I sometimes find the the monochromatic choices annoying, um, <laughs> but I think with with 
living things, I don't think it's there yet. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's like someone has to talk. They, st I don't know why they can't get mouth movements down right yet. Um, <laughs> and there seems to be a backlash about that. Uh, you know, J.J. Abrams, for all of, you know, the, the complaints about the, the uh, 7, 8, and 9, Star Wars 7, 8, and 9, he made a concerted effort to go back to practical effects as much as possible. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, looking at Conan, that snake, especially looking at it now after a 40-year career in the theater of doing theater tech, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a you know, I'm, I'm a technician. I, I do scenery and stuff and special effects and things in theater. And that snake is beautiful. It yeah. looks real. It moves like a snake does. Yeah. It almost breaks my heart when Conan has to stick his sword through it. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing <laughs> piece of tech. Um, it is. And then when Thulsa Doom can, you know, changes into a snake, and this is a couple of years before Rick Baker got the Oscar for the uh, An American Werewolf in London, um, where he revolutionized the werewolf transformation with a similar effect. Um, you know, yes. they they made a, a cast of James Earl Jones's face, and it was just a, it was just a latex, you know, a, a, a basically a you know like a Halloween mask that they put over a snake head shaped armature that they, they, they just pushed forward to make the 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 the, the the James Earl Jones mask stretch into a snake shape and then they cut away and then they come back and it's the it's the full snake um wow. but that was brilliant and that was that was, was movie magic and I miss those days and I hate to sound like the old day you know it was better back in my day um but I think that there I think there's a happy medium between full CG and practical that I think they can work hand in hand. And I think they're getting closer to that these days. I think they are too. Uh, the film um, crawl, <laughs> crawl, crawl. Okay. Now they, they did sort of a blend. They did sort of a, a hybrid of, of the digital visual effects. And they had, I guess, three or four alligators. I don't know. Mm. And, uh, and I do think you, you get the best result when you're blending, which you can do with visual along with practical effects. I think for uh, for Crawl, it worked in some scenes and looked really good. Mm -hmm. And then in other scenes, like you were saying, like, okay, those alligators just look like cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't really work. But from what we've discussed, like we know that there's a big confrontation coming coming down the road, down the pike. And we didn't spoil a couple of things in the film. Other than you do know that Valeria is willing to do anything to save Conan's life. Mm -hmm. So you can draw from that that Conan's life is seriously in danger at one point. And you know he's on a revenge quest. And you know he's got this cool buddy, Subatai, which I love that name. Yeah. If I get another cat, I'm naming it Subatai. <laughs> um, Dinner for wolves. Yeah, cool name. <laughs> <laughs> and we do know that uh, he gets that final confrontation with with uh, Thulestone. Subit, one of Subitai's lines is one of my all-time favorite lines. When when they're walking through that city and, and someone comes up and tries to sell him a talisman against evil, like, this will protect you from evil. He goes, I am evil. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Lotus. That's yeah. the, that's the, that that's was the Ron Cobb, stuff. the production designer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Ron Cobb, and then um, they're they're. Uh, and Ron Cobb was a production de designer on Alien as well. You know what? We we haven't talked about the look of the film. They did start shooting in Yugoslavia, and the, the political climate got really mm -hmm. dicey there. And, and Rafaela De Laurentiis said, "Then we just decided to move to Spain." Yeah, and um, good move because it looks looks so good. Oh yeah, I think. it's gorgeous visually. It's and then the the music, and you're seeing the ho the hoofs, <laughs> the horses running through the dunes, and the music is thumping, and you're like, "Yes, yeah, I, I." yeah adventure adventure you know strange uh Hi, adventure <laughs> Adven you're just ready for it it's just cool and it, i love the pacing of the film too it has a good pace yeah it's it's two hours long but it doesn't feel like it it doesn't it doesn't drag um there, there's not a lot of fat on that on on that film you know there there are some 70s movies that are like oh for christ's sake get on with it we did a show uh, on my on my on my show, this uh, Starbase sixty six, we did a show where we talked about versions of. It was after I Am Legend came out, and we talked about the the okay. various versions of Matheson's uh, novella, and of course, Omega Man was one of them. Omega Man, yeah. And oh my God, is it long? <laughs> and it just because there are, it could easily have been twenty minutes shorter and wouldn't have lost anything. Uh, they they really took their time in the seventies. But this movie is, you know, it's it's over two hours long, but it doesn't feel like it. It moves really well. I always love the fact that they showed uh, Conan and Subutai just running, just running across the landscape. And it was like, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of no makes sense. No if nothing. There's no horses and, and, you know, you're you're on foot. I guess you run. <laughs> it also sort of conveys a certain age uh, that, yeah, horses aren't ready, but these are, this is an age of very hardy people, very yeah. hardy men. They're out in the desert. Yeah. They're just going to run to the next town and they do. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me. Some of the things that, that the decisions that he makes, um, Milius or who, who, whoever came up with that idea just works. It just works. And as a parent, you only see that for a few years where your kids just run everywhere. <laughs> the only other thing I have in my notes is comparing the orgy to Caligula, but oh. <laughs> I, I, well, you know, I, I kind you know, knowing that the movie went through three different edits to get it down from an X rating, they kept intimating that it was because of the violence. And I'm wondering if the orgy scene ever went too far. I don't know. I, I wasn't even sure I was watching an orgy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because I'm trying to I'm trying to think. We we kind of don't don't get into the whole um, significance of of Thula's tomb and and what he represents and the was it another snake cult? Yeah, that is probably something we should. <laughs> oh, it's just another snake cult. Well, it's it's and, when and... we find out that they're eating people. Yes, um, you know they call it the orgy, and there's like. A couple of ladies in the in the in the scene that have their breasts exposed, but for the most part, they're all just sort of laying around. And then right. you, you get like one scene of a girl picking up a hand out of her plate and eat and taking a bite out of a finger. I think it was remembering back to when I first saw it again. I thought I remembered that scene being way more graphic than it actually was. So I think it was it was mm. a lot of implied nudity and 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 sex than actually was there 
Well, I think that's effective construction of a film, though, where yeah. you don't have to go there, but it's you're it's letting your imagination fill in those blanks. Mm-hmm. I don't really think I I even noticed any kind of sexual uh, undertone in those in those scenes more than um, just I knew the part of the quest. He's supposed to retrieve the daughter of King Osiric, yeah. which uh, they would have been content to just. <laughs> After after their first encounter with the Temple of Set, um, they would have been just content to be thieves, and but they they drink too much, they party too much. He fools around with Valeria too in much his, in his oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> and there's got to be more to life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I forget like what snaps them out of that. The king goes looking for them, right? Yeah, the king brings them in and and uh, offers them bowls of of gems if they go get his his daughter for him. They robbed the temple. Oh, yeah. Got, no, you're right. You're big, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a great delivery by Max von Sydow, where he's like, you know, the, there comes a time when the gems lose their sparkle and the gold loses its luster and all that's left is the love <laughs> of a father for his daughter. You know, I love Max von Sydow. I love listening to him talk. He could read the re- the, the phone book and I, it, I, I would listen to it over and over again. I'm still thrilled with the fact that he was in this film. <laughs> I just thought that's just you know, great. Some of the greatest actors, uh, there comes a time when they just they take a film because it's fun. Did you yeah. ever see uh, Strange Brew, the Bob and Doug McKenzie movie? I may have, and it may have been like back in the '90s on Comedy Central. Yeah, that kind Max of thing. Max Moncito was in that. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of Ray Harryhausen, uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier's last film was Clash of the Titans. Wrapping up this discussion, I think it's really, I I got vibes when I watched this film about this is going to be one of those films that I'm going to enjoy every, you know, on a Sunday afternoon when I just want to put a comfort movie on and just kick back on the couch and enjoy and take it easy and get lost in a different world this is one of those films. And then it made me think of films like Clash of the Titans, Jason and the Argonauts, Mm -hmm. uh, Voyages of Sinbad. Those are all Ray Harryhausen. But what other films out there, I think, would fill the bill? (laughs) Pre-Hobbit, pre-Lord of the Rings, (laughs) which is the only thing that immediately, in in recent memory, at least the, the last 10, 20 years, really, that comes to mind that kind of is in this genre. Excalibur is really good. Yes. Um, I have watched it recently enough to say it, it holds it's it stands the test of time. Um, you know, it's Helen Mirren and Nicole Williamson Williams, Nicole Williams as as Merlin. I don't remember. I, I know that the guy that plays Arthur is somebody now. I can't remember, but it's it, it's wow. like the definitive Arthur, you know, modern Arth- telling of the Arthurian legends. Um, it is a film that I would love to uh do um if you want to talk about it i will i will so be there for it if you want me to talk about that movie i think i've even spoke to sam about this about wanting to do that film and i said i i know that rick probably loves that film and i know that bill loves that film and that would probably have to be a a sort of a panel i'd be so down for that remember seeing that film in the theater with bill just being blown away yeah it's it's amazing um what else would be in that? Uh, you know, Beastmaster. Beastmaster is uh, good. 
Beastmasters fun, especially if you like your heroes uh, willowy and naked. Uh, <laughs> he's so small. That that's yeah, the one thing he's... he's never ever worked for me. <laughs> like he's um, so uh, yeah diminutive, but maybe that was he was certainly I, you know, fit. He makes more sense as a as an action. Uh, you know, I I lo I love Arnie as Conan. I think you know that's that's the way the character is created. But somebody that big and mus muscular is not necessarily quick. He Mark looks, Singer. Mark Singer. Yeah, he he looks a lot more like. I, I can't say I was a fan of the movie, but I you know he I think he looked you know it was like Lambert's Tarzan, look made a lot more sense than you know just a you know if if Conan if if Schwarzenegger were to play Tarzan. Um, I thought Johnny Weissmuller's Tarzan was. Weissmuller was great <laughs> for for the for the fifties. Yeah. I thought he was, um, yeah. Lambert had, you know, was was there was no fat on that guy, and there wouldn't be any fat yeah. on Tarzan. Um, no, there wouldn't. Yeah, he'd probably have like a swimmer's build or something. You know, Just no fat. Weissmuller was more like Babe Ruth. <laughs> yeah. Although he was a well-fed person. <laughs> yes, he was. He was. And I think the longer the series went on, uh, the more beer he drank. Yeah, because that became apparent. Here, you know, totally unreal. I mean, it's it's a more modern film. A much more modern film it came out last year. Have you seen The Woman King? No, I have oh, not. We just, we just watched it two weeks ago. Oh my god, that movie is awesome! It's fantastic, uh, and it it's totally in this in the same genre. Uh, although it's you know it's it's supposedly a true story, so it's not as fantastical as Conan. But Viola Davis, oh my god, she is incredible. That sounds good. And I love uh, Viola Davis. Other things in the genre. Um, Scorpion King seems to. I could uh, never bring myself to watch that. But the Mummy movies. I try. The first two Mummy movies are great. It's it's a pretty special uh, niche yeah. in fantasy sci-fi fantasy. Is is this sort of uh, history outside of our own history, but part of our history, and. Uh, you know, just a, a fantastical mythical world that's completely created separately from sort of our own historical reference. But I, but I could would be. say is similar, although the 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 milieu is different. Yes. Uh, Highlander, the first Highlander movie. Yes. Is brilliant. Yes. Brilliant film. Yeah. Love that film. Everything that came after. And that might be why uh, when we were covering Kill Bill, and I was. Uh, we had our guest host, Devin Garten. Uh, that might be the attraction of um, martial arts cinema is that it, you know, in the traditions and some of the lore is unique. And it's something we fresh that, at least in terms of Western film, we don't encounter it every day. Yeah. And that might be the appeal of, of martial arts cinema. There's a new series that, uh, that came out uh, called uh, Chinese Born American or American? Yeah, Chinese born American with Michelle Yeoh and Kihi He Kwan. Um, am I getting his name right? The dude that played Kihi Kwan. Around. Yeah. Yeah. Who was in, in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, yes. It's on Disney Plus and it's, it's based on some Chinese mythology and then there's, you know, some wire foo in it and it's, it's tons of fun. Rick, you have been an amazing guest today once again. And I, I love talking about films like this with you. It's a pleasure having Rick Tetralt on this podcast. 
and I want to thank him for coming on. And I got to confess, Conan is now officially one of my comfort films. It's going to be one of those films that on a Sunday afternoon, rainy Sunday afternoon, just pull that up and stream it. I don't have the DVD, but I am going to keep an eye out for it. Sam will be back next week, and we'll be presenting Peter Jackson's remake of the classic King Kong. I have a lot to say about that movie. It's the same theme for me. Haven't seen the movie before. Finally saw it. Sam loves the film. She recommended it to me, so we'll be doing Peter Jackson's King Kong. 2005, starring Adrian Brody, Naomi Watts, and Jack Black. Should be a hoot. (laughs) If you want to reach out to us, you can get a hold of us at celluloidpudding at gmail, celluloidpudding at gmail.com, or you can go on Instagram, that's pudpod, P-U-D-D-P-O-D, or Twitter, celluloidpudding, P-U-D-D-N, on Twitter. Our DMs are open on both of those social media accounts. It's been a very gratifying month of June. Had a blast at Stonewall Pride last weekend. Great music, great people, great community involvement. Really looking forward to sticking with the theme of uh, movies for summer. So we'll, we'll be mixing it up, maybe doing some action films, blockbuster films, throw in a couple of cult films in there. As always, watch something different, read something new, be good to one another. Good night.